0: anyone's game podcast following women's football
1: hello and welcome to the anyone's game international podcast i'm your host robbie Hanrate. so just to recap for any listeners who might have not joined into an anyone's game podcast before last time out myself robbie hanrati and my co-host Canny Bogue spoke to the one and only Leanne Crichton on her decision to make her retirement from Scottish international duty, as well as what next for the national team as they fail to qualify for the forthcoming European Championships set to be held in England and also don't have a manager in place. Now, as promised in part two of this exclusive interview with Anyone's Game, Leanne tells us about her 72 caps for the dark blue of Scotland. From the highs of representing the team at major tournaments like the World Cup and European Championships to how she dealt with some setbacks along the way to have such a great career that she did. How did it feel, August 2006, under Anna Singwell, your first call-up to the national team camp? How was it as like a young Leanne Crichton?
0: Probably terrifying, I think, to be <laughs> honest. When I, mean, I, I don't really remember too much about it because I think... I've probably described a lot of the time about my career and, and kind of the way it went. And I, I had only played what, a girls' club team since I was 15 onwards, probably about 15 and a half, actually. And you move up to senior level after 17s. So I actually only probably had like two seasons at any sort of established team. And then within that next period of time, 17 to 19, I had quickly fast-tracked through the national team in terms of the under-17s and under-19s, and then before I knew it, I was getting an opportunity to go away with the squad, but it was, you know, a fairly established squad back then a lot of senior players and older players that I had played against at club level, you know, top teams like Hibs and Glasgow City back then were probably scary players, to be honest, like if you think of be a 17 and 18-year-old kid that everything still really felt fairly new. I don't actually really remember, I think I remember coming on the pitch, but I don't really remember the ins and outs um, at the camp or anything but I do remember just moments like arriving at dinner and being a bit stressed about where you were going to sit and trying to meet somebody in the way down to dinner that you knew a bit better and you know it's like we've spoken about it in the podcast and if you've, if you've heard any of that that everybody kind of says the same it's like you don't actually enjoy these moments when you're that young because you're terrified so I just kind of took it, got my cap, and I had two caps quite early on. And then it kind of, unfortunately, sense that like the way my work life was back then, and I had left school with no qualifications. I was working full time. I was in a position to really take unpaid leave to go and be part of the national team, and no get. Opportunities that I couldn't really see the value in it, and I never seen myself as breaking into the team, so that was why there was then a bit of a, a gap between you know two thousand and nine, my debut, and or two thousand six, sorry, and then coming back in, you know, really
1: two thousand and thirteen. That's brilliant to get that story because I had written down. I was wondering why you had seventy two caps overall, but two of them came so early on, and then it was a big gap. But what has been your favourite moment during your time as a national setup?
0: It's probably hard to pick one moment just because. It has been quite a whirlwind, you know. Since I came back into the setup in twenty thirteen, I've I think I've only missed one camp, and that was in twenty fourteen, just through injury. Um, so I've been heavily involved in all of the the kind of major achievements that we've had, and it would be hard even to choose between the Euros and and the World Cup. I mean, the Euros for me probably edges it in the sense that where I was at um in terms of being in the team and playing and enjoying the moments and, and having that element of control. And it been the first tournament as well and Anna and Anne Helen were coming to the end of their reign, you know, with the national team and it had been quite a journey. And even going back to like two thousand six, two thousand seven, my relationship with them had kinda developed and evolved where I had gone from being that young kid that had come in and, and was then just really honest and frank and saying look I, I don't think I can be here for selection to then be out the fold for so long and for them to then bring me back in again. um, It was almost like all our stars had, had aligned and so enjoy that moment with them and, and for it to feel like Anna's journey and twelve years of hard work and dedication had finally paid off. And and her ultimate, you know, goal when she came in and took that job was to get us to major tournaments and to end things like that, you know, that that was a special moment for the team, even players like Gemma Faye that had been such long servants, Ifeoma had been in there as well. And Leanne Ross, who was my roommate during that time, you know, I knew that those players were planning to step away, you know, post-tournament. So it was special to be able to finally get those players that had given so much to the game, you know, the, the send-off that they deserved. And, you know, I just wish in that tournament we could have had to get out of the group and, and, and made things last that wee bit longer. But the Euros was, was really special like that. The World Cup, I think, was more significant in the sense it changed the mindset of the nation them in that moment and to be part of something like that I think will live on in the memory for a long long time.
1: Yeah the Euros was definitely significant because I remember I was over in Utrecht the England game and just finally seeing Scotland at a major tournament the World Cup got more coverage but the Euros was was just brilliant to as you say Gemma for all these players getting I guess recognised for all these years achievements and then I guess Talking of recognition, before you went to the World Cup, a bumper crowd of 18,500 at Hamden, that must have been brilliant for the girls.
0: Absolutely, absolutely incredible. I actually think if we had promoted the game a wee bit more, we would have probably well and truly broke through the, the twenty thousand mark that night. I think the the SFA initially laughed when we suggested that we could get close to twenty thousand, but for us, we're always looking to, to do more. And I think you look at what other nations have done, like England. But my first opportunity, um, downplaying in England, we're not counting. We got the FA Cup final, and it was in front of forty two thousand or something like that. You know, so you're thinking if you can get 42,000 to an FA Cup final watching Notts County, then surely you can get at least 20-odd thousand watching Scotland at hand. And So it was incredible um, to get that 18,500. I never played in that game that night. I was on the bench and and even that doesn't taint the, the moment of it for me because to sit and listen to the noise in the stadium and probably take it all in you know, more than maybe the players even on the pitch because what I noticed was how young the crowd was and and how much energy and enthusiasm... think the weather was quite nice that night as well and and then the goals that we scored you know like just caroline and erin scored two absolute crackers on that pitch and that's what you kind of dream about as a kid like those are the moments that you replicate in the back garden you know those are the those are the moments in training that you repeat over and over again and i just loved that i love the fact that that it felt like we we had that breakthrough that we had been longing for for a, a long long time
1: yeah, definitely. Like, obviously, you played Champions League at club level, got to the quarterfinals, etc. But what was it like representing Scotland at a World Cup and European Championships in comparison to like a Champions League game?
0: I, I mean, it's, it feels the same, but really different, also. I think, just honestly, I, I do believe it's a Scottish thing where I, I, I do wonder if other nations, I mean, I'm sure they do feel that level of emotion and nostalgia, but can I do the journey that we've been on as a national team, and that's going way back beyond even like my career? You know, going back to players like Rose Riley and Edna Ellis, you know, and Sheila Begby, Women that have come through were they were literally banned from playing football. <laughs> um, so to then stand there at a major tournament, like I don't stand there on that pitch in an international game and and feel like I'm representing me and my family. Like when I stand on that pitch. I represent every player that's came and went before me, and, and every player that will come and go beyond me. As a Scottish sports person, you have to look beyond yourself. We always need to try and achieve more. And Champions League games are brilliant. You know, I packed out Peters Hill Park with 1,500 folk crammed round, like hanging over the barriers and stuff, and a pour in Glasgow, like that. That gets me going as well. But there's there's something about. You know, that moment standing, um, especially the game that I started in, in the Argentina game, you know, in that packed crowd and the amount of messages for back home, people that were following the game, fans that were over in France, like the Tartan Army, just seeing how much we miss tournament football. You know, watching the streets lined with fucking kilts and tops and face paints and you Jimmy hats, like that's what it's about. It's not about us, you know. It's it's about everything else that goes with it. And I've just been so fortunate enough to have have been part of something like that. But then the, both incredible experience, Champions League. Like, you, you cannot beat at club level, and, and certainly the international stage, standing, singing the anthem, like right, with your friends and your family in the crowd. You know, nothing beats that.
1: That's what I was going to ask. Do you sing or do you mime?
0: I sing. I've got Hi. the worst voice in the world, but I do sing. Hi. I try and pick my moments where you go along and the, the camera kind of pans to you. You think, <laughs> <laughs> He's going to pick this up. And then the voice drops a wee bit, and then the camera goes past you, and you can pick the, the decibels back up
1: again. Because <laughs> <laughs> the men's players sometimes get scrutinised for that, um, not singing the anthem. That's what I usually love with the women. You always see them all like yourself all love it. it out. The,
0: aye, the girls absolutely go for it. Oh, yeah. brilliant.
1: That's class. I <laughs> aye, Le- Leanne, you speak about featuring in the uh, infamous Argentina game at the World Cup that obviously gripped the nation, I think it was record viewing figures, but what was your personal emotions at that end of that game with the VAR controversy and penalties? I know we don't like to mention it.
0: Confusion, I think, for the most part. A lot of anger and frustration and to be honest, like, I'm, I am try and not be too critical of referees because I do understand how hard their job is and how difficult those decisions are. And if you said the, the privilege you're watching me and Stephen Thompson last season and the the referees programme that was on BBC Scotland. We got to spend the day with Scottish referees going through their training day and fitness testing. Um, We got an opportunity to to make decisions, you know, running the line as an assistant referee. And it's unbelievably difficult to get... You know certain things, right? But even last night in the game, sorry to digress, but Claire Emsley get booked for making a bit of contact with the goalkeeper after she had picked up a pass back. That blows my mind. So I'm thinking to myself, right? There has been contact there, but you surely must know that that actually doesn't matter because she's picked up a pass Aye, back. Exactly. I know. So, that's crazy. So that's a FIFA referee. Um, <laughs> uh-huh, you know, and, and I'm thinking this is what you're up against. So. I felt like that in the Argentina game, and that's you could feel it throughout the game because there certain decisions and certain moments that she doesn't get right, her and her team don't get right, and you kind of almost know what's coming. I kind of take away for the fact that we were 3 0 up and we showed the responsibility for the most part of that game in terms of what we should have been doing and what we could have done to control it a bit better, but certainly, you know, taking eight minutes off the game and just deciding that it was full time when you had literally stopped play for the best part of eight and a half minutes is beyond me. I don't see mistakes like that happening in the men's game and that's why I have so much frustration because I try and remain open-minded about a lot of things and, and how we're better in the game but for me at the World Cup you need to have the best referees there male or female you cannot dictate the outcome of a game based on poor refereeing decisions. You know, and actually, her decisions that night cost both teams on the pitch because Argentina would have fancied themselves to get a winner, and we would have fancied ourselves to get a winner. She cut the game short with eight minutes to go. Uh, just and then the penalty decision it's fine. That was the rules of the tournament. Then they changed the rules of the tournament for beyond the group stages where they stop booting the the goalkeepers and stuff so to use the women's tournament as a guinea pig for technology and for new laws of the game I just find so degrading you know I just go and try at the Men's World Cup and let us know how you got on it because why should it always be us that are guinea pigs
1: Leanne you'll know better see the the women's referees are they full time for like the World Cup and stuff or are they all part time as well
0: I don't know a lot of them are probably part time to be fair but I'm not sure. It depends what league they're in. You know, I think it's, there's some full-time referees. And, but that for me, and that's the biggest thing, you know, because even the referees in Scotland are, are at, a, at a disadvantage to other referees yeah. now. Because if you're a referee, if you're refereeing in the men's top flight in Scotland and you don't use VAR week in, week out, and then you're called up to the Champions League or the Europa League and you have to run a game that they're using VAR, Well, you've not been using it consistently, so you're not in that frame of mind. Like you need to be doing something all the time, repetitively, to become good at it. You know, that's just like any any job that we do, you you kind of just turn up at your work after having a year off and and (laughs) execute your day the same way you would if you had been there every single day, problem solving and managing certain issues. So I feel for them, I feel for the Scottish referees now in that sense as well, because you know, when it comes, are they going to get the same opportunities they're now to go to? European Championships or referee top games to go to tournaments if, if they're not getting that same level of exposure. And the women's referees are the exact same. A lot of them have been fast-tracked through the programme because we are striving for equality and equal opportunities and representation within sport. But I think that, that kind of comes at a cost, you know, and, and I, I believe that that needs to happen and that you need to get more female referees through. But I think until we're at that stage, you, you need to have the best referees, at tournaments you know and I I don't understand how you can probably have hundreds of top flight men referees sitting at home watching tournaments get them in get them learning get them understanding what decisions should be made but it was a crazy game crazy night the Argentina game absolutely shoulder responsibility for you know the outcome of the game in terms of the result because we, we should have controlled things better and as a player group and staff group things should have been done better
1: Obviously, that that game ripped the nation. Even like me, and my family was on the TV when that happened, just in disbelief. But how have you personally dealt with setbacks like that in your career?
0: Tough. I mean, you can you can never really hang on to setbacks for too long in the the sense that your day to day life kind of needs to continue. Post World Cup, I think I managed to get home, and then it was a struggle in the couple of weeks after that, just because there was more chat around it like there was more scrutiny about the game we did feel hard done by so you're kind of watching the game over again looking at what you could have done looking at the decisions you know then for weeks to come it was the decision was spoke about whether I was doing media work or you know you're having to kind of almost relive it but ultimately you kind of I always just try and take myself out of it emotionally and, and look at it with a clearer outlook in terms of what we had achieved and the significance of it even coming home like seeing the the amount of scrutiny and disappointment was actually a good thing in the sense that it meant that people were actually emotionally invested in watching us and supporting us which ironically was what we had kind of been hoping for of course we never wanted to go in the fashion that we did and we never wanted to be you know tagged as typically scottish and that's so (laughs) so near but yet so far headline that went with but I just had to look at it personal achievements the team achievements what it meant for the nation and kind of you just need to learn from it like there's the the biggest learning experiences in life are often the ones that that come through failure or disappointment you don't learn for the the success you know you're, you're riding the crest of a wave and probably in the last this last campaign is where we've learned that most you know we've been riding on the crest of a wave for two back-to-back tournament qualifications, and now we feel like we've we've failed. So you kind of need to learn from that. Maybe it'll be better for us in the long run. Certainly, the experiences at the World Cup taught me a bit of that.
1: I think that's something fans don't think of, is it? Because like nobody feels worse than the actual players. Do you know what I mean? Like nobody, you're in that situation, whereas we might be upset and all that. But you guys have loved it. <laughs> do you know what I mean?
0: Absolutely, and that that is what people forget, and and. You Know we can all do it as football fans. You know, you become emotionally invested in matches and stuff, but even going back to the Euros, like we needed to beat Spain 2 0 to get out of the group at 1 0. I think it was 1 0. I missed a sitter, like literally, I'm un- I pretty much was underneath the crossbar and managed to put it over the-, the bar for a wide free kick. And that for me is a moment that I'll live with forever. Aye. Like because even getting into the World Cup, you were kind of going like you, you get a chance that like, you can't miss. that like, you can miss a chance like that. Every game beyond that, it was Champions League games that like, you, you can't miss. A set, you need to always be expecting the ball. So and I probably had went through being like a defensive minded player and never really being in. Well, the margins were never so significant. If you know what I mean, it was Aye. like you get a, if you miss a chance like that, you were running four 0 at Glasgow City and nobody would remember it. But you miss a chance at that at 1-0 at a Euros and it's the difference between you getting out of the group or not. So I had to learn for that moment and then you take that into the World Cup and you're kind of going, right, if you're in the box, you need to win your headers, you need to try and get on the end of You know, and I win the header that comes off the crossbar or the keeper makes a save and then taps in the third and you're thinking, right, we've learned for this moment, like, this is unreal and then what happens, happens. So... You then need to learn again. You need to then go, right, we can't kind of think about outscoring teams because we knew that could happen again with Argentina game, that teams would play the next day and they could outscore us and it wouldn't matter even if we had won 3-0, whatever, we would still be out. Um, you know, but in hindsight, it's a great thing. 3-1, 3-2 would have been enough to, to take us through. You just need to make sure you win the game. I think that's oh, the next exactly. learning experience. It doesn't matter about the goal. Just three points.
1: <laughs> just play that Finland. 10 behind the ball, then just.
0: <laughs> That's it, just make sure you win. Four in the 93rd
1: minute. <laughs> Off your nose.
0: <laughs> no, it's crazy, those, you, you just need to learn, honestly. it's football's a funny old game, and it's like those moments like the Argentina game. Like I, I will live with that forever. My teammates will live with that forever. The coaching team will live with that forever. The fans will forget about it by the Aye. next tournament. You know, whereas for us, we, we don't ever forget these moments because we've worked so hard to get there. You know, we we feel the disappointment more than the fans. You know, it's hard to it's hard to believe as that is for, for a lot of people.
1: Well, that's the end of part two for you right now. You'll have to tune in again for part three, hopefully coming very soon, where Leanne continues to go into her life at, at Glasgow City in her club career. And... Some interesting stories from yesteryear, from before playing football, and a little teaser into what really goes on in training. But for now, keep an eye out on the Anyone's Game Twitter page and web page, like our tweet, subscribe if you're enjoying it, and as always, leave some feedback if there's anything you'd like to see. But for now, it's a goodbye from me.